Welcome to episode 75 of the Process Podcast. I am Amante Martin. Today we have Tanika Rubin joining us on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Tanika. Thanks, Amante. I appreciate you for having me on tonight. Hey, thank you for joining us. Could you tell the listeners where you're from? Yes, I'm from, I, that's a loaded question. <laughs> I, I'm from Sierra Vista, Arizona. I'll say that. I'm from Sierra Vista. Sierra Vista, Arizona. Yes. What was it like growing up there? Man, um, growing up in Sierra Vista, how could I describe it? I would actually say it was a privilege. It was a privilege growing up there. And I'll say that because I grew up on a military base. So my dad was in the army. And when you grow up on a military base, it's like you're exposed to different perspectives, you know, different ideas. And so from a young age, I had friends from different countries and different states and so I never felt trapped or boxed in you know yeah yeah what did that what did that do for like discipline and being regimented did that do anything for you while you were young what did it (laughs) my my dad being in the army he retired when I'm maybe I was like 11 or 12 but you know once once in the military always in the military and so we were very structured and we had to learn how to we were, he wouldn't let us chill, you know. We like, yeah, get up, get up early. And we're like, come on. But it's like growing up, <laughs> growing up, it gave me some uh, routine, and so uh, it helped me to be, like you said, more disciplined. But we'll talk about the um, how that impacted basketball later. But it really, yeah, it gave me some structure for sure. So where did you end up? Did you um, stay in Arizona once your dad retired from the military? Yep. So he he retired, and then we stayed out there until uh, I graduated from high school. And so they ended up moving to Florida, which is where my dad is from. But I stayed out there to um, start my first two years of college. Thinking about high school, how was high school for you? Uh, When did you start taking basketball series? (laughs) I started taking basketball series when I was like seven years old. But um, high school, we had a really good basketball program. And so I think that played a lot into it. And there were athletes from different areas who came and, and helped the program. And so I was able to see like, oh, I can, you know, play pro or I can do this or that. It was really good. How was that recruiting process like for you when you were in high school? And why did you choose the school that you chose uh, the first university? The recruiting process for me actually did not go anything like I thought it was going to go. So I was in high school and I was doing well and I was I was getting looked at from universities and then um, going into my senior year, I tore my ACL and I was sitting out basically my whole senior year of basketball. So you know how important that is as an athlete, your senior season. And so what happened was a lot of the schools that were looking at me kind of fell off and I, I decided to attend a junior college first. So that's why I said my first two years. And so I went to Phoenix, which was about three hours from where I grew up. And I and I started going to school at Glendale Community College and playing basketball there on a scholarship. We had uh, Latir on the podcast. She'll be episode 74 right before you. And she played basketball also until her ACL senior year. Man, what? So, so I want to ask you the same question I asked her. You know, what did you learn about that phase in your life? having to go, you know, the JUCO route and having to heal and recover. I learned so much, man. It was actually, at the time, it was really, it felt bad. You know, I was depressed and all that stuff. But looking back, it was one of the best things that could have happened to my career 
because I learned the importance of like slowing down and taking care of your body. You know, prior to that, I wasn't taking recovery serious. I wasn't really taking weightlifting serious. And and also, I think sometimes I even took the, the game for granted. Like I was like, oh, I play basketball. I've been playing since I was five, six years old. This is just what I do, you know? And so it helped me to slow down and see, first of all, this is a gift from God. And at any moment it could be over. And, and secondly, I have to take care of my body and also discovering other gifts and talents that I had too. That was the important part. So it was like a discovery phase. Yes. Um, and so once you got into JUCO, how was that transition uh, from where you were from to Phoenix and just mm -hmm. getting acclimated to the college level, the speed of the game? Uh, it wasn't too much of a, a transition as far as like how I like how I lived. So two of my best friends, they ended up going to uh, school in the same city. They went to ASU. Mm -hmm. And so I still had, you know, people I knew around me. But it's, uh, in terms of basketball, it was, I'm, I'm going to say it was different than what I expected. Because in junior college, it's sort of like the the D, uh, the D League. They call it the G League? The G League. So it's kind of like the G League. And so everybody's trying to get to the next level. But in my situation, there were some of teammates who weren't really trying to get to the next level. So they were kind of just hanging out in the city, you know, just playing basketball because they wanted to. So my my challenge was to stay focused, even though everybody else around me wasn't trying to get to the next level, if, if that makes sense. High school, you say you didn't really get the look that you thought you were going to get coming out of mm -hmm. high school. And what was that like for that recruiting process the second time around coming out of Juco? The second time around, I was laser focused in, man, because my goal was always like, OK, I want to play. So I'm going to tell you at this point, my, I think I said this, my family moved to Florida. So I'm big on family and I wanted to um, play in front of them. So my whole thing was I want to play at a D1 and I want to end up playing in Florida. And so I thought I was ready after my first year in, Ju in JUCO, but my coach, um, she, she thought I needed another year. I don't know if that was because I really did need another year or she wanted me to stay back and help the team. I don't know. It doesn't matter at this point. But <laughs> so I ended up, st I stayed for two years and then I ended up reaching out to universities and I had um, uh, two in Florida and I ended up going on a visit to FAMU and it was history after that. Aside from your family being in Florida, you know, what, what drew you to Florida and the university? Uh, it was really all just my visit because I I didn't know what or who family I didn't know what family was prior to growing up in Arizona. You don't even you don't learn too much about black history uh, in terms of like HBCU. So I knew what HBCU was, but I didn't really have too much um, I guess access to that culture. And so on my visit, it was like, man, this is where I belong. I really felt like I was at home. You know, I felt like the I felt like people saw me if you know that you know what i'm saying yeah oh yeah yeah of course, of course you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah so, right it's nothing like the hill uh, nothing nothing so what so what was that transition like though you know you're coming from arizona i mean you have family from florida but what was it like for you to transition as a student athlete uh, once you got on the hill man so i want to say that i was like still focused i really didn't want to say that but i wasn't so i got to famu <laughs> and it was like I, I don't know if I if I felt like I had arrived at my goal. Maybe part of me felt like that. And then the other part, it was like so many different moving pieces that I wasn't used to. You know, it was like parties over here, uh, different things going on over there. And so 
um, I started to lose my focus a little bit and I really wasn't focused on my academics. And so I had some issues there. It, I, I know that feeling, you know, when you get the family. <laughs> family is a different beast, you know? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> family is a different beast. But uh, so how did you how did you find yourself? You know, how did you gain your footing, if you will? Uh, I'll say just really from making mistakes. So I was on the edge quite a few times. I'll speak on one situation where <laughs> I was like this close. If you can see my hand, it was like this close from being <laughs> ineligible. And so what was happening was um, at the time, there were a few girls who were ineligible and they just got sent home, like just like that. And I was waiting on my grades to come back. And I think the, the minimum you could get was like, I don't know, a 2.0, something like that. And I basically, I didn't make it. So I had terrible grades. And what happened was they ended up being able to pull some kind of string or some kind of miracle happened. I don't know. But basically I was on the edge. And so I was feeling like, man, I'm getting ready to lose my scholarship, you know, disappoint my family. And so that moment kind of woke me up a little bit. And it was like, all right, it's time to take things more serious. What role did, you know, your, your upbringing played growing up on kind of the military base? It, I want to say it was kind of, it's e I'm going to say it's easier for me to just like snap out of it, you know, because I know how I grew up. And yeah, at, the, at that point in my life, my lifestyle wasn't showing that I had discipline or I knew how to um, make good decisions. But once I snapped out of it, it was like, all right, I know what I have to do. And now I just have to do it, you know? Yeah. It didn't take too much. Before we go deeper in your story, I want to know, you know, what advice would you give someone coming out of high school into college and, and managing, you know, that new lifestyle? The advice I would give to someone coming out of high school is to manage your time correctly. Don't waste time. I'll say that. Don't waste time. And it's really easy to waste time, especially now, like social media. You know, a lot of people like to waste time with scrolling through, playing video games. And it's and you have to have fun and you have to have a social life, but manage your time in a way that you're still being productive and, and going after your goals. And so I wasted a lot of time. Like I was taking naps all the time, missing class. And that's just not what you want to do. So I would say don't waste time. I'll add to that. Know where to allocate, know where to put your time. You know what I mean? Yes. Too much of anything could destroy you in college. Too much of studying, too much of mm -hmm. you gotta be balanced. <laughs> yeah, balance, that's the key for sure. Balance is the key. So thinking about, you know, your career at FAMU, looking back over it, um, mm -hmm. how would you how would you rate your experience and what was your goal moving on after FAMU? So when I first got there, my goal was I was to play professional basketball overseas. That was like always my goal. And um, once I once I got there, like I said, I lost my footing a little bit. Um, but I still had that in the forefront of my mind until my senior year, and we or the end of my senior year, we had a we had a rough season. But it was like a lot of drama. There's a lot of things that shouldn't have been. And I think I started. I felt like I was losing my passion for the game. And so at that point, that was like my first time ever where I was like, I don't know if I want to play professionally. So um, my to rate my experience at FAMU, I don't know, I'm not going to give it a number, but it was just a learning experience. It was a time for me to discover myself and see, do I really want what I said I want? And if I do want it, you know, what is that going to take? And so what was next for you uh, upon graduation? Uh, after I graduated, 
so like I said, I um I thought I wasn't gonna play overseas anymore, right? But I still had one more semester after finishing my senior year as a player, right? So I had like three more months. And so this time I'm like, I don't know if I wanna play, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But a guy asked me to, to start helping him coach his high school girls basketball team. And so being in that environment again, it started to help me gain back my love for the game because it was like, it was like a pure environment. You know, there was no drama. It wasn't like a job to me. And so then I was like, okay, I think I do want to go overseas. And so I started looking for opportunities. And the first one that came up was going to London to play, but not as a pro, as a way to get my master's for free. So it was like, I was student athlete again and I was playing basketball and I got that first um, experience overseas um, right after graduation. What did you learn about yourself as, as a coach temporarily? Oh man, I learned that I needed to work on my communication. That was number one. And I, I learned that like what leadership takes. Prior to that, um, that experience, I didn't really know what it was like to be a leader because I had coaches who made made me the team captain just because I was talented or whatever. But that's not leadership, just because you have talent. You have to gain influence. You have to uh, serve the people around you. You know, that's really what makes you a leader. And so I learned that the most. It was about leadership and communication. And so how did you learn those skill set, you know, learning what you learned at FAMU, and your upbringing with discipline, you know, how did you carry those skills with you into your next, you know, career at, in London and, and overseas? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So when you go overseas as an athlete or any time you go overseas as a student or whatever, you're, you're by yourself. Like, you know, you're in a whole new environment, you're by yourself and there's no one really to tell you what to do, what to eat, how to spend your money. And so I had to remember what what I learned. And I just came out of that environment where I was coaching the girls and I was telling them what they needed to hear. And so now when I was in, when I went to London, it was time for me to like coach myself. And times I didn't feel like doing whatever I had to do. It's like, okay, Tanika, you're here for a reason. So you know, let's get to it. So that was kind of the, the next phase of FAMU, you know. I'm thinking about when you're at FAMU in college, you still kind of have that short leash where you can kind of yeah. do, you know, plan and manage. But now when you're overseas, you're professional. It's like no one's making you do it. You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. And exactly. So, and so how, how are you still playing overseas? Um, and what have you learned about yourself uh, while playing professionally? Yeah, I'm still I'm still playing overseas. Actually, I just came back uh, four days ago. I just came back from Portugal. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is my third. I just I'm finishing up my third season and I've learned I've learned that like you just have to put one foot in front of the other. So the months, the seasons can be extremely long. I was just there for like seven and a half months. And in the beginning, you have momentum. Like you're like, I'm there, you know, the season's getting ready to start. I'm going to kill it. And then usually sometime like right after Christmas, your momentum slows down. You start missing your family. And so I had to learn that this thing is really like a marathon and I have to keep my my mental space clear and I have to make sure that I have a good support system and I keep in touch with them because it could really drain you if you, you're running on E, you know. But how do you how do you stay motivated during those times um, when you are missing your family so far away from home? It's a combination of things. Thankfully this season I had really good teammates. 
And so we actually all liked each other. You know, we all talked and they could all speak English, which is which is another plus. It doesn't always happen. And so we were actually all friends. And I had um, the Americans on your team are key for that, too. So it's it's helpful if you guys can hang out, like if you actually like them, too, or they like you and, you know, you guys mesh because those are going to be the people who help you when you feel alone. Usually Americans live together overseas. And so also my support system back at home, if I'm feeling down or whatever, I call my siblings, you know, I call my parents and um, they just help me, <laughs> they help push me through, yes. you know. I, I, I want to ask, I've had at least three or four football players on and they talk about overseas ball, but I never asked the question, you know, what is it actually like playing overseas? You know, not, not in terms of, like you're, you're like missing home or anything like that, but like the actual game, how is it perceived over there? Yeah, it's different in different countries. Uh, I was actually just talking to someone to this weekend, this past weekend, and they were like, man, I heard that the game was really intense and I, lot, there's a lot of contact in the game. Like they might not call fouls. And that's really how it is a lot of times. Like you get you get knocked down and then so in college or in America, like that's a foul, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not always it's not always the case so you have to put some tough skin on and just play through it another thing is as an American when you come over there they expect you to do everything um, and really be like the top influencer on a team and if you don't do that then it's really bad it could be bad for you you can get you can get sent home oh wow so how was that <laughs> learning curve how was that learning curve for you <laughs> It was it was actually easier for me, that curve, because I didn't start off my first year as a pro. I started off, you know, as a student athlete and I was able to see that firsthand first. Like, okay, if I was a pro, then I would need to, you know, step it up. So I had that first year overseas, not with that pressure on me. And, and so um I was used I was able to see it. But moving forward, it was a challenge for me because my playing style wasn't like take over the game but it had to become that you know I had to get that killer instinct I was more of a like I could score 20 but it's not going to be all the time because I'm trying to dish to my teammates and stuff but overseas they want you to take over all the time every game if you can transition a little bit and talk about your book you know what inspired you to write your book winners win you know what is it about <laughs> or Man, a snippet a, a snippet okay so I um I ended up writing it after my first season in Portugal, uh, 2019. And what I realized is that I just had so many experiences, you know, I made a lot of mistakes and I had a, a journey that required me to really push past adversity. So when I came home, I was like, oh man, I think I have to write a book. I just really felt compelled to do it because I had so much uh, wisdom. I knew that it can help other people who were going through their own experiences, you know. Aside from the actual book, you know, what was that book writing process like for you? Kind of reflecting on your experiences and kind of journaling. Yeah, that was an eye opener for me. Um, it actually, it goes back to the discipline thing because I, I was like, I'm going to write a book and I need to write it uh, in this time frame. I had to write it before I left again because I knew I wasn't going to be as focused once I left home. And so I sat down every day and I just wrote and the the journaling part like it's like when you're writing a book or you're doing any kind of writing or any kind of art I think that comes from yourself 
you start, you have to see yourself in the mirror. So it can be uncomfortable and you see parts of yourself that you may need to work on. And so that's what the book writing process was for me. But I want to ask you, you know, looking back over your life and all your experiences thus far, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? I have so much advice I would give myself, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make a turn. I'm gonna say I would say be kind to people. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because growing up I just I wasn't like the best person. You know, I just I didn't have good character. I had a lot of <laughs> I, I just had a lot of issues and I was I guess I could have been considered like a troubled child, you know, growing up middle school, high school. And so now I see the impact that you can have on a person by seeing them and having compassion on them and just being kind, you know? This podcast is called, you know, The Process Podcast. What does trust in the process mean to you? To me, trust in the process, um, it means really just putting one foot in front of the other. So like a lot of times you look down and you see what you want or you see your end goal and you want that like right now. But trusting the process means that you have to be patient and put one foot in front of the other and realize that that baby steps are powerful. So the game, the game of patience. So I wanna I wanna thank you for, you know, your first stop back in the States. You stopped by with us and to share your story <laughs> on the podcast. Yes, so sir. I wanna, I wanna thank you for joining us um, and sharing your story. Um, but do you have any lasting words that you wanna leave with the listeners? Uh, yeah, so your podcast is about the process. And so if I were to leave any words, I would say when you're going on your journey or you're on your own process, like the most important thing is to not compare your process with somebody else's. And so I can remember a time when I was like waiting for my contract overseas and I was looking at other people get their first contract and I was like, man, I feel like I'm running out of time or I'm not where I feel like I should be because other people, you know, just comparing myself. And you gotta understand that everything happens for a reason and your journey is your journey. So that's what I would leave with the listeners today. Awesome, awesome. Where can the listeners uh, find you on social media or find you to purchase your book or just to give you feedback on this episode? You can find me on Instagram at Tanika Rubin, just my name, Tanika Rubin. And you can also visit TanikaRubin.com slash book to purchase my book winners win. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth, overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.